Good morning. So as Mark just mentioned, we are finally jumping into a new series today, after about a month uh, off from Ezekiel. And this series is going to carry us through the summer. And I thought I'd just give you guys uh, sort of a year at a glance of, of how this whole year fits together on Sunday mornings. Just by way of reminder, we started the year by looking at the most unlikely of all books in the Bible, Ezekiel. We spent about three months seeing this, this view of God that I, I think is just amazing, this wild God who comes to his people, this God who I described as awful in the sense of f- making us full of awe when we encounter him. And he is awful in his holiness, but we also saw he is awful in his grace and his mercy to his people. And so we wanted to start the year by reminding us of this big, wild, amazing, glorious God we serve. Now, this series, we're going to jump into this. How do you cultivate what I'm going to call an inner life with God? And all I mean by that is this God who is big and is awesome, he has made himself known to us in the person of Jesus Christ, and he desires relationship with us. He doesn't want to be just this God up there somewhere, but he wants to engage with his people in very personal, very intimate ways. So what does it look like to actually cultivate a relationship with this God? Do you have a, what we would say in you know, Christian terms, a daily walk with this God? What are the rhythms? What are the practices that we want to build into our lives so that we might have this deep, rich relationship with God? So he's not just ideas on a piece of paper, but he's actually a living, breathing reality in our daily lives. What does it actually look like to walk with him day by day? And then in the fall, we're going to say, having done that, then what does it mean to cultivate an outer life with this God? Having talked about this rich life of relationship with God, what does it mean then to, to move out into the world with this God and to love and to serve and to share his truth and his grace with the world in our families, as you just saw with the, with the, with the parents, as in our places of work, in our neighborhoods, in our cities, uh, in our schools. What does it mean to go out and live this outer life with this God? All right, see how that fits together? certainly fits together in my mind, so I hope it fits together in yours. Uh, so uh, this morning, what I want to do is stay really high level, and I want to talk about the connection between the inner life and the outer life, all right? So this is going to be summary of the, next, of the rest of the year, essentially. And I want to look at this connection pre- between our own inner life with God and our outer life in the world by looking at the master himself, Jesus, and look at the the connection that that was present in his life between this rich life with his father and this rich life of ministry out with the crowds, healing, teaching, doing all these things, this inner life with his father that spilled out into this life of love and service in the world. So we are Christians, right? Which means we follow Christ. We adhere to his teachings We follow his ways of life. So today, I want us to watch the teacher again. Watch him in action in his life and ministry here on earth. And see what we can glean in terms of his own connections between these things. That we might follow in his ways now 2,000 years later by the power of his spirit. So uh, we're going to walk through some passages in the Gospels. Hopefully you have a Bible or at least a cell phone with an app. And uh, I'm going to move around. We're going to spend... 
just like five to ten minutes, and, and his, especially his early ministry, and I, I want to just point out things that we see. Most of this will be review for you. But think of this. Here's the master, the one who lived life perfectly, showing us this is how I did it. And what does it mean to notice what he did and then follow in his way? So we look at these rhythms of his inner life with God, his outer life with the world. Uh, beginning in Mark, I'll end in Luke. We'll just look at Mark and Luke, a couple passages. So beginning in Mark, if you look at chapter 1, verse 9, we get the baptism of Jesus. So Jesus is 30 years old now. This is when he begins his public ministry. We know very little about the first 30 years of his life, but this is where most of the Gospels pick up the story in detail. Uh, He was living in Nazareth, and uh, he comes... To, uh, he comes down to the Jordan to be baptized by John the Baptist. Verse 10, just as Jesus was coming out, up out of the water, he's been baptized, he's coming out. He saw heaven being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, God the Father speaking to, to Jesus, his son. You are my son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. So his public ministry begins with this Wonderful affirmation from his heavenly father. I love you. You're my son. I am pleased with you. And he hears that before he's done any public ministry. Before he's earned his father's approval in any way. His father says, I love you because I love you. (laughs) I am pleased with you. You're my son. That's what the fathers up here would say to their children. Before they've achieved anything. I love you. You're my son. You're my daughter. He hears those words of affirmation. And then, beginning in verse 12, he spends 40 days withdrawing from society, 40 days in the wilderness, as you might many of you know the story, where he is tested and tempted by Satan. And he learns what it will mean for him to be the son of God. What will be the priorities? What will be the things that will shape his ministry? The things that drive him? Will it be his own interests or will it be obedience to his father? But he spends 40 days withdrawn completely from society to begin his public ministry. Any of you taken a 40-day solo retreat? Okay, I myself have not. It's a long time to be alone. It's a long time not to eat as well. But that's how he begins his public ministry. Time away with his father, but also being tested. Really going through some soul searching, we would say today. After that, beginning in verse 14, he launches into this public ministry. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee. This is the northern part of Israel, these towns around there, proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. And then he begins calling his disciples, and he begins this public ministry, okay? So this moment of affirmation from the Father, withdrawal for 40 days, and then he launches into this public ministry where he's going from town to town, preaching, teaching, healing, doing all of these things. Uh, Let's pick up the story in verse 32 of chapter 1. Again, he's still around the Sea of Galilee. And look at the kind of ministry that he's engaged in. That evening, 32, uh, that evening after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. So this 
rich day of ministry. He's been teaching, preaching, and then people are bringing those who are lame, those who are sick, those who are possessed, and he's just casting out demons. He's healing people late into the night, this very full, busy day, and very successful day, I would say, of ministry. Look what Jesus does next, verse 35. Very early in the morning, in fact, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, he left the house, and he went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him, and when they found him, they exclaimed, Everybody's looking for you. Where'd you go? You ran off. Verse 38, Jesus replied, let's go, to, let's go somewhere else to the nearby villages so that I can preach there also. That is why I have come. So this day of rich, successful ministry, full engagement, and then he steps away early in the morning, spends time with his father, and something in that, through that time, he discerns it's time to move on. To actually leave some really successful ministry, I would have stayed around for a couple more days myself. Um, But he's like, okay, it's time to move on. He goes to another village. That's why I've come, to to preach the gospel to other places. Are you seeing this dynamic of withdrawal with his father, engagement with people? Let's jump to Luke's gospel, chapter 5. The very next thing that happens in in Mark's gospel is Jesus heals a man with leprosy. So I want to pick up the version of that in Luke's gospel. So go to Luke, chapter 5. We'll just look at a couple other examples of this. Luke 5 is one more page over. Okay, Luke 5, uh, verse 12. This is the same story that, that, that Mark follows on with of healing a man with leprosy. So he heals this man uh, of leprosy, which is an amazing act of ministry and love. And then in verse 15, it says, Oh, he tells him, don't tell anybody what happened. Don't tell him that I healed you. Just go to the priest. But the guy doesn't listen. Uh, verse 15, yet the news, yeah, of course, I'm used to that. Uh, the news about him spread all the more so that the crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. So all this ministry, people are, he's gaining in popularity. People are hearing about him. They're coming and he's healing. He's preaching, he's teaching. Verse 16, I love this. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Ministry, love, service, and often he would withdraw from all that to be alone with his father to pray. Let me give you an example of one of those times in Luke's gospel. Look at chapter 6. Jesus heals a man on the Sabbath, which is a big no-no for the religious leaders of the day. And then in verse 12... Jesus has been gathering disciples. He has a crowd, probably about 100 folks that are regularly following him, listening to his teaching. And verse 12 says this. One of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray, and he spent the night praying to God. So he withdraws. He spends the entire night overnight with his heavenly father praying. And then out of that night, it says, verse 13, when morning came, he called his disciples to him and chose 12 of them who he also designated apostles. So apparently he spent the night alone with his father, discerning, praying, 
Father, who are the 12 that are going to be my close inner circle that I'm going to pour my life into? Because I can't pour my life into 100 people all at once. Or, you know, but I, I can do 12 that I'm going to designate apostles. So who are those people? And he spends an entire night praying. And then he comes down and he chooses his 12. One final example. Let's go to the end of Jesus' life since most of these are at the beginning of his ministry. Go to Luke 22. Very familiar passage for most of you. Luke 22 is the night before Jesus dies. And beginning in verse 7, you have Luke's description of the Last Supper. And he's now he's with his 12, his closest 12. He's engaged with them. He's teaching them. They're, he institutes the Lord's Supper there. He washes their feet. This time of relational connection with them. And then in verse 39, this is just before, of course, he's going to be arrested and tried. He's going to go through his greatest trial of all. He withdraws with three of his disciples to the Garden of Gethsemane on the Mount of Olives. And he leaves them and goes a stone's throw away from them to be by himself. And he prays to his father, that deep, heart-wrenching prayer. Father, I don't want to do this. If there's any way to call an audible here, I would love an audible from the cross. But not, not what I want, what you want. I want what you want more than what I want. So your will be done. And he has that time with the Lord. And then Judas brings the crowd, the, the you know, group of soldiers, and they arrest him. And he goes into this last day of his life with the crowds and with the soldiers and with Pilate and all of that. All right, so I think that's plenty to see the basic point I'm making. You, you see this in Jesus' ministry. There's this basic rhythm to his life, this rhythm of, of withdrawing to be with his father and then going out and engaging life, this inner life with God, and then this, this outer life of ministry. So here's a, I'm going to put this up, another way of saying it, input and output, okay? A time where he receives input from his father, he is filled up, and then he goes out and he is loving and serving and teaching and doing all of these things with the crowds. And that's my basic point today is just to note the rhythm of his life. And I want to just ask a couple questions today. Three questions of this rhythm of Jesus' life and have you ask it with me. First question, um, how specifically did he pursue, I'm looking at that top left part, his inner life with God? What are some of the, the practices, some of the things he did? to pursue his own, what we would call, personal relationship with God? It's not a rhetorical question. I'd love to hear from you guys. What are some of the things? I've, the, the, the things I focus on were prayer. Obviously, prayer is a big one. Just throw some other ones out. These are not hard to come up with. What are some of the ways that he pursued his own relationship with his Heavenly Father? Solitude. solitude. Good. Yep. And prayer and solitude often went together. Literally, get away. What's that? Focus. Focus. What do you mean by that? Okay, yes, a uh, time of worship even, focus, meditation on who his father is. What else? Obedience, big one, right? Doing the will of his father. What was that? Fasting. Fasting. Another one? Service, Service. okay. Consistency. Consistency. What, is, what do you mean by that? Consistency of what? Often, yes, good. He, uh, it says he, didn't ra- he, he rarely withdrew. Right? To be with himself. No, he regularly, he often withdrew. Okay? Yeah, these are, these are, these are great answers. Um, I'm not looking for, um, you know, amazing answers here. Uh, I have lost... No, I mean they're simple. I don't mean those weren't amazing. 
I'll take a D plus. Okay, those are good. Um, Benton, I've lost control of that and the crowds. Uh, I think you're in presenter. You're in a mode that I. Oh, there we are. Oh, okay, great. All right, prayer, solitude. We didn't mention this one. Jesus regularly meditated on the scriptures. You really get a sense of that because scripture just sort of pours out of him, doesn't it? Especially when he needs it most. Uh, Sabbath, we hear a lot about Jesus. He was engaged in the regular rhythms of Sabbath. Uh, Worship, he was a uh, Jewish boy who attended the synagogue. We see him teaching in the synagogues. He went to the Jewish uh, feasts throughout the year. There's this rhythm of, of Sabbath in his life and then and of, of worship, of, of the, the community gathered together. What else do I have? Um, maybe I'm projecting onto Jesus here. Um, but it seems to me he would withdraw into just to spend time in God's creation. And when you look at his teachings, you get this sense he had a deep love for creation and its beauty. And he often draws on creation in his teaching. So my sense is part of his solitude was his joy in the creation. Someone mentioned fasting. Good. Okay. Output. What are some of the ways that his, his life with others express itself? I'll just walk through these pretty quickly. Of course, teaching. He had a healing ministry. He was serving uh, and just generally conversing with people all the time, right? You could, we could fill in more, but you get this general sense. There's this input and there's this output. Uh, the image that I've used with us uh, comes from our, our uh, youth ministry, our overflow ministry. Um, Jesus, I think, had this great rhythm so that he lived his life from overflow. And the image, of course, is our life is like a cup, right? And every day we're pouring out of our cup. We're pouring out energy. We're trying to uh, love our kids. We're trying to do a good job at work. We're trying to engage in the community. There's all these things that we're often giving ourselves towards, whatever those may be. It's what we need in life. And I think the way that Jesus lived is, is we need to be regularly receiving. We need that cup to be filled up again by God, filled up by his grace and his truth and his comfort, his encouragement. And in the ideal world, our life is lived out of the overflow of what God does for us. We are filled up by him, constantly focused on him, finding our joy in him. And out of that, then our lives of service to one another emerge, but it's out of what we have received, the comfort that we've received, we then offer the truth that we've received. We offer the grace that we've received. We then offer our lives are lived out of overflow. And I think as you look at Jesus Jesus the man, Jesus the rabbi, he more than any other human being lived his life out of this rich overflow, constantly being poured into by his heavenly father. And then out of the overflow of that relationship between father and son came this beautiful, fruitful, life-giving ministry to others. And so I want to ask some more questions about that. And again, this, this is nothing you haven't thought of before, but it's good to reflect on. Let's talk about his inner life again. What, what, we just talked about how he engaged that life. What are some of the practices? But what specifically did he receive from his father in, in that inner life? So let me go back to this. And there's a lot more answers than this, but three came to mind for me this week as I was thinking about this. Um, obviously, one of the things he received was, was rest and refreshment. From his heavenly father. I mean, he lived a life that was so full of ministry and service. Uh, imagine if your job description was 
save the world. You know, that's a big job description. A lot of to-dos on that list, potentially. Uh, and the, 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 we don't think about this, but, you know, think about Jesus as a man, okay? Right? He is fully God, but he's also fully human. And so I want you to think of him as, as a man who has to think through and work through the things that we have to work through, okay? That kind of job description, that kind of ministry, the potential for burnout would be so high, even for him. And so he regularly steps back. He recognizes his need for rest and refreshment from his, from his heavenly father. He steps back to do what the Psalms say when they say, be still and know that I am God. He had a very full life, but he did not appear hurried. He did not appear busy because he regularly was refreshed by his heavenly father. It, to me, the interesting thing is, when I think about like him spending time in the scriptures or him, him spending time in prayer, I don't get a sense that for him that was like one more thing on his to-do list. And that's how I think we sometimes think I've got this busy life, all these to-dos, and I'm a Christian, so I've got these other to-dos. I got, you know, my quiet time, prayer, uh, reading the word, check, check, check. It doesn't seem like that's how it worked for Jesus. For Jesus, it seemed like those things were actually the, the ending of the to-do list. <laughs> that's the end of all to-dos. I've been doing all day, and now I step back, and I, I, I let go of the to-dos. I be still with my Heavenly Father. I know that He is God, that He has this under control. And He's refreshed, genuinely refreshed, and rested from His time with His Father. Again, I think for us, we, we can be so busy that we overwork ourselves, right? And then... Rather than seek things that are truly restful, we don't even have the energy to do that. So we work, 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 and then we, then we check out. <laughs> then we go to something that is not genuinely refreshing. It's mind-numbing. We, I'm so tired from the day, so at the end of the day, the kids go down, and I put on the TV, and I just sort of check out for two or three hours, and I just repeat. It's actually not genuinely refreshing, but it's all that I think I have energy for. And so we keep this cycle of busyness and mind-numbing, checking out, whereas Jesus did fruitful work, and then he was genuinely refreshed by his times with his Father. So one is rest. This is the big one that I see. What did he find in his times with Father? He found his sense of identity, his sense of acceptance and meaning and purpose. And remember, go back to the beginning of his ministry at his baptism. His Father says... What every son, every daughter wants to hear from their father, I love you. I am so pleased with you before you've done anything, before you've earned anything. I just love you because you're my child. And he starts his ministry from there, that, from that voice. But every day in his ministry, think about his ministry, there were so many other voices clamoring for his heart's attention. There was the voice of, of the praises and the adoration of the crowds, right? I mean, people were just in awe of him and his miracles. And the temptation would be to buy into his own, you know, PR and to, to think, man, I'm pretty great. And I got I to gotta keep this up. People are stoked on me right now. I've got I've to continue to do what they like so that I can keep this popularity. That voice was so tempting, I imagine, for Jesus the man. 
And then, of course, you had these other voices of the religious leaders of the day. You had these voices of, of conflict and, and even rejection. And it would be so easy for those to get inside his voice. And so what he would do regularly is withdraw from those voices to go back to the one voice that mattered. You're my son. I love you. I'm more pleased with you. That is what defines who you are. These, the praise of the crowds, that doesn't define you. The, the, the rejection of the leaders, that's not what defines you. This is what defines you. This is where you find your sense of identity and purpose. And then finally, one more and obvious. He stepped away to receive guidance, discernment with his heavenly father. Again, save the world. Big job description. Okay, how do you like reverse engineer that and figure out what are the steps? What do I do? What am I supposed to do every day? What's the most important thing to do now? And there were so many options that he could have pursued. And so what he does is he steps away with his father and through prayer, through discernment, says, God, what is it you want me to do? There's so many good things I could do today. What's the best thing I could do? And you see that, right, in that early story of him. He does this great ministry in this town. If it were me, I would have said, we're staying here for a couple weeks. This is fruitful. A door's been open. We're going to stay here. And and, in his own time with the Father, he discerns, no, time to move on. Or think about that that night alone with his Father, choosing his 12. Okay, I guarantee you, I would have chosen a different 12 by human standards. But Jesus doesn't do that. (laughs) He's with his Father seeking discernment. Who are the 12 you have for me? Who who are are the ones that are part of your plan? And he comes out of that and he chooses his 12. So rest, identity, guidance. Again, being poured into by his father. And then let me ask the other question. He received refreshment. He received his identity. He received his guidance from God. And then I want to ask, how did that input, how did that impact his outward ministry to other people? What effects did that inner life with God have on how he engaged others in the world? Again, just three. There's a lot more we could think of, but as I looked at these passages, these quickly came to mind. The first, this is not the best word, but I'll just use the word. There was, a, there was just an appeal that he had with people. He was magnetic. And what I want to suggest is the appeal, the attraction besides the, you know, some of the things that were more superficial, the healings and that kind of stuff. But what was so appealing to people was precisely this rich inner life that he had. The people saw him and they realized, you have something with God that I do not have. When you talk about God, it's not theoretical for you. I can tell it is a living, breathing reality. You are speaking from experience. You are not speaking from a textbook or from, you know, some other, what some other rabbi would say. You, this is alive and, and active in your life, and I want that. The grace that you offer, the love that you offer, I can tell you've received that. You feel loved. You know you're loved. You're offering me something that you yourself have experienced. I think what the disciples said about his own prayer life, you know, we looked at these stories of prayer life. Uh, Luke's gospel says, one time Jesus was praying, and after he finished, his disciples say, Teach us to pray. And I assume they said that because they realized, we want want what you have. That prayer life that you have is attractive. It's appealing. Show us. What does that look like? Invite us. Bring us into that conversation you're having with the Father. So 
there's this appeal. Uh, another one, of course, is there was an authority to him. He spent this time with God, digesting his word, discerning what his spirit was doing. And so when he spoke, he spoke the words of God. When he acted, he acted on behalf of God because he was so in concert with his heavenly father. Our Axios groups just finished uh, the Sermon on the Mount, right? This great sermon that Jesus preached. And it ends this way. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. <laughs> their teachers of the law would, cr- would quote from some rabbi who was quoting from some other rabbi who was quoting from some other rabbi. Like, Jesus, no, you, you have authority. Well, it's because he... Was, had this perfect inconcertness with his father. And so when he spoke, there was this authority, this gravitas, and people knew it. They sensed it. And then finally, I love this one. This is the one I'm most envious of. Uh, what I would call freedom. He had freedom from people. What I mean by that, he had freedom to be his own person. Freedom from the expectations of the crowd. Freedom from needing to be all they wanted him to be. Freedom from having to please the religious leaders. Because he found his meaning and identity in God. And that totally freed him from needing to find that in others. Uh, One of the Pharisees once says this in Matthew's gospel. They say, teacher, listen to this. We know you're a man of integrity and that you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. You aren't swayed by men because you pay no attention to who they are. (laughs) I love that. There is this inner freedom from all the measuring comparison games we play. And what that freed him to do, actually, was freed him to love people, to love and serve them. He didn't need to impress. He found all that in his relationship with his father. Uh, this diagram comes from a book called The Cycle of Grace. I haven't read the book. Actually, I've heard um, summaries of it. But I like what it's saying. It, It starts, Jesus lived this cycle of grace. It started with the acceptance that he found in his father, of course, even at his baptism. But then he had these, what I'd call these sustaining practices in his life, scripture reading, solitude, silence, prayer, that that sustained that sense of identity and acceptance. And his significance then came out of his relationship with his heavenly father. And then out of that significance, that's where the fruitfulness of his life with others came. It's a cycle of receiving and giving of the grace and truth of his father. And I think so often we, we get this in reverse, right? We go, we go over here down lower right to our achievements, to our work in the world. That's where we try to gain our sense of identity And then we're not free to actually love and serve. Oh, you weren't supposed to see that yet. Um, So let me leave you with this. I said this at the beginning. Many of us in this room would identify ourselves as Christians, as Christ followers. And so I want to just pose the question, what if following Jesus... What, if it, what it means to follow Jesus is not simply just to follow his teachings and his ideas about life, but what if it means to follow him in his way of life, follow him in the rhythms of his life of withdrawal and engagement, time with his father, time loving and serving others. And so I want to ask you, where do you find yourself in this, this sort of rhythm of inner life and outer life with God? Do you have a rhythm 
a set of sustaining practices, habits, disciplines, whatever you want to call it, that, that help you connect in this rich relationship with God. I mean, to go to this, this verse, Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Could I say that of myself? Dave lived his life with his family and his church, but Dave often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Or would the story be, Dave sometimes withdrew. Dave annually withdrew. Dave almost never withdrew and prayed. Where do you find yourself in that rhythm? And then, of course, where do you find yourself in this rhythm of love and service to those around you? Do you see the interplay of these things, your inner life with God and then your life with others? And, and what I want to suggest is, of course, we, we go wrong when, when we're missing one of these movements in the cycle of our lives. Christians go wrong. Churches go wrong when we're missing that. And, and um, you know, we could probably say, you know, a lot of churches do one of these really well, right? Some churches do the inner life well. There's great Bible teaching. Uh, there's good spiritual formation. There's small groups. There's all these ways for people to plug in and develop their own life with God. Uh, but they might not be so good at then actually reaching out to the community around them so that they're growing, they're getting deeper and deeper, but, but the city, the neighborhood is, isn't at all affected by what's going on there. And then, of course, there'd be other churches that are, that are better at the outward stuff. They're all about mission and, and service, and they're out serving and, and working, but, but there's not a lot of depth to it. And so in the end, they're doing a lot of activity, but what do they actually have to offer those that they're serving that is actually experienced within their own lives, this deep, rich life with God, well, it may not be there all that much. And so they keep doing activity to try to give themselves a sense of identity rather than going to God. Okay, so churches, you know, are, are better at, at these things than other things. Uh, and we could have a conversation about where we think we fall as a church in this whole cycle. But let me, let me leave you with this. I want to leave you with a final statement, that, uh, a final moment in Jesus' ministry. It's actually his first moment with his disciples in John's gospel, okay? At, at first glance, it just seems like a boring little interaction, but I, I've always loved this interaction. So uh, two disciples of John are following behind Jesus. They've heard about him. John's told them who he is. And Jesus turns, and he sees them following, and he said to them, what are you seeking? What do you guys want? What are you looking for? And they say to him, Rabbi, where are you staying? And he said to them, come and see. Uh, and at one level, of course, this is, they're simply saying, where are you going tonight? And they say, come, you can, you can see where I'm staying tonight. You can come follow me. But John, who is the master of you know, double meaning in his, in his gospel, I think this is a beautiful introduction to the disciples' life with Jesus. Where are you staying? That, that word staying is actually, where are you abiding? It's the same word where we get abide. Um, what are you doing? What, what are you up to? Where are you going? And Jesus' invitation, come and see. That really is the invitation of discipleship. Come follow me. See where I'm going. See what my life with my heavenly father looks like. See the love and the grace and the relationship that I experience. So come and see. I want to invite you into what I have. So come and see. And I want to leave you this morning with that question. As you look at your own life, 
could you say with confidence, or would you be confident to say to other people who don't know Jesus in your life, would you be able to offer that invitation? If they said, what, do you, what are you up to? What's your life all about? Would you say with confidence, come and see. Come, let, let me show you what I've experienced, what I've come to know about the God of the universe, this wild God. Come and see the grace that I experienced from him and the love and the sense of acceptance and the comfort and the truth and the challenge. Come and see because there's something to see in my life. There's this rich, oftentimes complicated, complex, but still rich life with my father. Come and see what it's like. Because that's ultimately what we have to offer people. (laughs) We want to go out to the world, salt and light, with that message. Come and see what we are beginning to experience in our own broken and imperfect ways. So can you say that? And to leave you with this question, do you have the rhythms, the practices, the habits, the disciplines within your life that are going to make that happen. And I want to give you just a half a minute of silence as we close to consider the weekly rhythms of your life, to look at your days and say, is my life currently set up in such a way that I have these opportunities to get away, to be with my Heavenly Father, to hear from Him, to to wrestle with him, to be with him, and, I, and, and these rhythms where I'm trying to love and serve those around me. All right, so let's just take a moment of silence. And I, I just invite you, think about your weeks. What is there? What is not there? And have a conversation with your Heavenly Father about that. Let's pray. Father, we just take a moment to consider in light of Jesus' own life, to consider our own rhythms, and not even to pass judgment on them, but to simply notice what is. Would you, even in this moment, give us clarity on what is and give us maybe a, a little glimpse of what might be?